Welcome to the TCW Investment Perspectives Podcast. I'm Anisha Goodley, head of the Portfolio Specialist Team for TCW's Emerging Markets Group in Los Angeles. I'm here with David Levenger, Managing Director and Asia Sovereign Analyst for the TCW Emerging Markets Group. Dave is a highly experienced China expert, having previously been the U.S. Department of Treasury's Senior Coordinator for China Affairs and the U.S.-China Strategic and Economic Dialogue. Dave just came back from a trip to China, and he's here today to discuss his main findings and key takeaways. Dave, thanks for coming back and speaking with us today. Always a pleasure, Nisha. Well, let's just kick off with your trip. You just returned, and what were some of your broad observations? So there are a lot of bears prowling the streets in Hong Kong and Beijing. Uh, What was interesting is... I think sentiment was a bit more bearish in Hong Kong than Beijing, which was a flip from my last trip there in March. You know, they say it's always darkest before dawn, and the China outlook is certainly challenging. But I came back feeling that we may have reached a point that with expectations so low, so is the hurdle or positive data and policy surprises. And I think we saw that with the August data, which came out better than many people had expected. And, you know, through all the gloom, what I did see is, you know, some glimmer of cautious optimism that the economy may have hit bottom in July. No one's expecting a strong recovery as property investment stays weak and global demand slows. And I think we'll probably see Chinese growth in the fours this year and next and a gradual kind of slowing of growth to the threes by the end of the decade. That could be higher or lower. I think it ultimately depends on confidence, what happens to private sector and household confidence. You could see a positive self-reinforcing cycle as the economy improves, confidence improves, people start spending and investment more. Or you could see the reverse. Property sector continues to growth, bring growth down, confidence worsens, and private businesses and households pull back. I'd see the risks as a bit asymmetric, probably upside. You get an extra point of GDP growth, and downside, you'll probably see cut of two percentage points of, off of GDP growth. growth is not as impressive for China as the old days, but, you know, you got to put in perspective. U.S. is probably a one and a half, two percent growth economy. Europe is definitely a sub two percent growth, probably more one, one and a half percent. And Japan is a sub one percent growth economy. Weighing on Chinese asset valuations, it's not just the expectations of lower growth but it's also higher uncertainty of where China is ultimately headed for the property sector, for support for the private sector, and also geopolitics. The one thing I felt somewhat confidence in coming back is, you know, the tail risks you hear about a crisis in China, I kind of feel is overblown. Confidence is pretty high, and I feel rightly so, that the central government is ready and able to stand behind the big banks and local governments. So it sounds like you came back a little bit more constructive than you had been, and we're starting to see the impact of some of the recent measures that the authorities have pushed through. So in terms of your base case, you think growth this year is somewhere around 4%, so below that 5% target. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they'll probably get a little help from the statistical agency. Their target is around 5%. They could get around four and a half, four and three quarters, I think, close enough to say that they've met their target. Close enough. And so maybe just walk the audience through some of the recent measures that they have pushed through in terms of what could really have a meaningful impact. Yeah, so, you know, we haven't seen any kind of big bang stimulus, but I think we've seen kind of steady incremental policy easing that's starting to add up. They are basically unwinding a decade of housing policy that was predicated on the view that demand exceeds supply. They're cutting mortgage rates, down payments, getting rid of restrictions on how many homes you can buy. And that's all helpful, though I think you'll see the biggest impact probably only in the largest cities where demand is the strongest. They have substantially eased monetary policy. They've cut rates and they've signaled rates are going to stay lower for longer. This definitely helps relieve pressure on stressed debtors. It reduces the risk of defaults. And probably most importantly, by cutting existing mortgage rates, it's going to put money in people's pockets. But you still have a confidence problem despite lower rates. The private sector and households are reluctant to kind of borrow uh, more to spend and invest. And lastly, infrastructure. It continues to be supportive. I think we'll see more fiscal stimulus for urban renewal, but the amounts are likely to be modest. Right. I think you're making some really important points in terms of the shift in the growth drivers in China and how there isn't necessarily going to be this large stimulus that you may have seen in the past. So my next question then from there is thinking about how do you think about China in terms of its impact on the rest of the world? If you think about the next several years, if they are making this significant push towards higher quality growth. You know, it's interesting. In 2007, a long time ago, Premier Wen Jiabao said that China's economy was unstable, unbalanced, uncoordinated, and unsustainable. And that was before we saw another decade of kind of credit-fueled property and infrastructure boom. And China's playbook has fundamentally changed. I think China's leadership believes it was the old playbook that got them into this mess And so when they talk about high quality and sustainable growth, it means they're not going back to the old playbook and they're willing to endure some short-term pain to get to where they want to be. And I think you have to give the government some credit on property. I think they recognize that the first thing you do when you're in a hole is you stop digging and they recognize that fundamentals like a shrinking population don't support high levels of property property investment, and they want to shift investment away from property to technology that reduces China's vulnerability to U.S. sanctions, reduces carbon intensity, and can be new growth drivers for a smaller and aging population. I fundamentally see property in China gravitating towards what I call the Singapore model with much more kind of public housing both for ownership and and rentals. They're also convinced that their relationship with the U.S. is going to remain fraught for the foreseeable future. So just like in the U.S., they're focused on de-risking relations and, you know, national security concerns are going to take a precedent over growth. What this means for the rest of the world 
is China's growth is not only going to be lower, but it's going to feel very different. It's going to be much more service-oriented. There's going to be less intensive, import-intensive uh, construction and CapEx, fewer imports. Trade and investment is going to sh continue to shift away from development markets to emerging markets. And you're going to see a shift in commodity demand from iron ore and coal to things like nickel, copper, and, and cobalt. Obviously, other emerging markets are also going to benefit as companies adopt kind of a China plus one strategy to de-risk their dependence on China's supply chain. What does this mean for markets? Clearly, rates are going to be lower for longer. I think any kind of material backup in yield would be an opportunity to fade on the RMB exchange rate. They are trying everything to keep exchange expectations anchored, but ultimately monetary policy divergence between the U.S. and China with U.S. rates higher for longer and Chinese rates lower for longer it is going to keep pressure on the RMB to depreciate until U.S. growth turns and the market starts more aggressively pricing in rate cuts in the U.S. Thanks, Dave. I actually want to pivot a little because I don't think we can do a China podcast without talking about U.S.-China relations and some of the tail risks as well as Taiwan, <laughs> right? I, I don't think we, we can. So, you know, I actually, you know, I hear your point on what you were saying in terms of China's growth model and focusing on de-risking and independence and, and you're seeing what's happening here in the U.S. But I think we can also say that after a few bad years, the last few months seem to have improved a bit, right, off of potentially off of a low. So I'm curious what you think of that relationship just in light of some of the news over the last few months. Yes, Anisha, I, th I think you're right. In just in the last couple of months, we've seen a thaw in what had been a pretty deep freeze in U.S.-China relations. I feel that the catalyst was the balloon incident that scared both sides and scared a lot of investors as well. It really demonstrated how a pretty modest security threat could escalate so quickly and just how much kind of communications channels and, and crisis management capacity had deteriorated between the two countries. So I think we've had some good couple of months there's been much more communications and high-level visits between the U.S. and China. I thought Treasury Secretary Yellen nailed it when she said the fact that we have such a bad relationship increases the need to reduce misunderstandings and miscommunications. The Biden administration finally came out with their draft uh, regulations on outward investment, and I feel like that is about the best we could have hoped for in the current political environment. It was very targeted. There's a clear preference to exclude portfolio investment. And I have to say on Taiwan, I was very pleased to hear Biden say a couple of weeks ago that China's economic challenges make it less likely that they're going to take aggressive risks on Taiwan. First, because I think he's right. And that was generally the consensus in Hong Kong. And secondly, I think it sends an important signal to China hawks in the U.S., including in the Biden administration, that we need to lower the volume. All that said, Anisha, you know 
next year as an election year, not just right. in the U.S., but in Taiwan as well. So hopefully this thaw will last, but you probably see a pickup in rhetoric as we get closer to the elections. Right. Requires very close monitoring. So let me recap a bit, and then I want to give you an opportunity to add anything else that we may have missed just in terms of your trip or just some of your, your takeaways. But it sounds like you've come back a little bit more constructive on China, on the China outlook. And part of that is that the market has been so bearish at this point. You've seen the U.S. in some ways defy expectations and China come in below expectations. So any sort of positive data could actually kind of just help market sentiment. So that's one of my takeaways from your trip. And then that around 5% target, it seems like you may be coming in in terms of 4%. Maybe it's a little bit higher in terms of what you're seeing in terms of statistical data from China. But it also seems to me that some of the tail risks potentially have dissipated a bit, just in light of what you're saying about U.S., China, and, and Taiwan, but again, worth close monitoring. Anything else to just mention in terms of China's impact on the rest of the world when you think about just the next three to five years? And and again, just its shifting growth model. Anything else you want to touch on there? Uh, no, Anisha, I, th- I thought you summed it up pretty well. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. And we'll have to have you back on in a few months as well, just just with your latest update. All right. Thank you for joining us today on TCW Investment Insights. For more insights from TCW, please visit tcw.com slash insights. This material is for general information purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or solicitation of an offer to buy any security. TCW, its officers, directors, employees, or clients may have positions in securities or investments mentioned in this publication, which positions may change at any time without notice. While the information and statistical data contained herein are based on sources believed to be reliable, we do not represent that it is accurate and should not be relied on as such, or be the basis for an investment decision. The information contained herein may include preliminary information and or, quote, forward-looking statements, end quote. Due to numerous factors, actual events may differ substantially from those presented. TCW assumes no duty to update any forward-looking statements or opinions in this document. Any opinions expressed herein are current only as of the time made and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results.